Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 47 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsors, Clio and LexisNexis. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last podcast, we answered a bunch of audience questions. In this episode, we again went out to our audience for some ideas about New Year's resolutions for technology. Tom, you want to tell them what we'll cover in this episode? Sure, Dennis. In this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're talking about resolutions, uh, legal technology resolutions to be specific. In our second segment, we can't stop Dennis from talking about his new MacBook Air. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use as soon as the podcast is over. But on to our first segment. Dennis, I noticed that you had an article that came out in a recent version of the recent edition of the ABA Journal on tech resolutions for the new year. There's always a lot of talk about resolutions at this time of year, but uh, ultimately, by the time that January's over, there's most of those resolutions are done or forgotten or... Uh, or, 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 or just wiped out. Do you actually make resolutions, Dennis, or did you just write about them in this case? Well, this year, probably, I've, I've done a great job on resolutions. I've made some. I've actually acted on them. But I, I think that the, the whole idea of resolutions and at the beginning of the year is a great way to focus on technology and to kind of step back, take a look at what you're doing, what you'd like to do, and what, as a practical matter, you can do to, to move forward on on resolutions, and and I take a very simple approach, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the things I I said in my article, but I think I look for some things where I can kind of advance my knowledge of technology to make my life a little easier and to kind of improve technology. So, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it in the second segment. But sort of my big resolution for this year was to kind of bring my uh, laptop situation and specifically my home laptop situation up to where I felt it needed to be. And, and I, I really accomplished uh, uh, most of what I wanted to do already, you know, two weeks into, into January. Now, Tom, do you, uh, do you actually make resolutions yourself on, on technology other than to sort of get your, your blog onto a new platform? Well, you've you've gone and broadcast one of my resolutions for this year. Um, I, uh, I I I don't uh, I don't typically do resolutions, and the reason for that is uh, our resolutions on technology is that I guess it comes down to how I think about resolutions. Resolutions typically are things that uh, that you wouldn't ordinarily do or that you wouldn't enjoy doing. I, I usually find that an eat better or exercise more or lose weight resolution is near the top of my list at the beginning of the year every time is to, to something that will improve me in some way that I otherwise wouldn't want to, to, to do that. But for me, technology is easy. It's something that I enjoy doing. And so I am... Um, I, I, not everybody feels the same way about technology as I do, but uh, it's really easy for me to accomplish technology goals that I set for myself during the year. So I wind up not uh, not setting resolutions. That said, I do have two technology resolutions this year, and 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 we can talk about those in just a minute. But uh, 
But I, I think it has to do something with the fact that I just enjoy doing it. And I know that not all of our listeners feel the same way about legal technology. And so maybe what we, where we should start, Dennis, is to talk to people about how to, how to set those resolutions and, and what will work uh, for them. What do you think, Dennis? Well, I, I, I thought a lot about this in part because I, uh, I was writing a column that I did. But I look at what I did last year, and I, I know that last year I had these, these ideas, some of my typical things. I always try to learn, you know, one new area of technology and try to, to learn it well in, in an area that's new to me. So I'm usually – that's usually a standard thing for me that, that I accomplish um, – just in, in the ordinary course. But last year I had this notion of, um, you know, like you, I wanted to get my blog and website up to, up to date. I wanted to streamline my social media presence and, and, and kind of get my online act together. And I really fell down on, on that completely. And so what I, what I realized as I thought about this year is that, um, when you do those sort of broad general resolutions, you typically don't get anywhere. It's sort of like, you know, lose weight. Uh, you know, you really have to be specific. You have to break things down into steps that you, you know uh, what it is that you're going to do. So say that I want to write more. My notion is I need to write more on my blog. Well, this sort of write more on your blog uh, is, is something that you think about, you might think about every day, but you don't know exactly what to do about it, and a lot of time can go by. So if you say, well, what I really want to do is I'd like to, to write three times a week, and I'd like to, uh, because I have trouble writing the longer posts that I'm accustomed to, I might make 2011 my year to write, to start to learn to write three paragraph blog posts. And then that should be doable to get up to three a week. And so if that were my resolution, I would say, look, it's become really focused. There's it's something I can attain. It's something I can measure. And so I look to do things like that. And, and so as I actually do sit down and say, here are some of the things I want to accomplish, that would be the approach I would do. Break it into steps, make it doable, uh, have something that I'm accountable to and seems within range. The broader, the more general the resolution uh, you know, like for you, Tom, you know, getting your blog up today is just is just hard to accomplish on a, on a daily basis because you don't know what to do next. Well, and what you described perfectly is the you know when when we when I do strategic planning, we talk about making your goals um, smart. S M A R T. That that stands for the the goals have to be specific. They have to can't be just like lose weight. That's not specific enough. Measurable. You have to be able to know what happens at the end. Attainable. It has to be something that you can actually do. Realistic, which I've always thought of as being similar to attainable. And then timely. It can't be something that you're not ready to work on. Um, my goal for my blog is actually very, I, I know what to do next. Uh, I'm, I'm in the process. And if I haven't mentioned it on this podcast before, I'll mention it again. Uh, it, I'm 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 actually curating all of my blog posts, all four thousand eight hundred posts. It's a torturous job. It's miserable and it's awful. But I'm finding that there are a lot of blog posts with dead links that are useless to readers who happen to find it. And so I'm finding that uh, about sixty percent of my posts no longer have any value to people who would come to my blog. And so I think ultimately the end result is going to be great. But but the next step is really make sure I get all of those over to the new blog, and then we we reach a bit 
bit of a gray area. But my second resolution, the resolution that I've got um, that I'm really looking forward to doing, and, and when you talk about learning a new technology each year, I'm really resolving this year to learn SharePoint 2010. Um, the more and more I read about it, the more and more I realize that it has some amazing implications in a number of areas. Now that I'm doing more and more records management work, uh, SharePoint 2010 has uh, some records management features that actually make it a, an intriguing tool for companies, law firms, to do their document management instead of traditional document management services. It's it's finally improving to where we can say, yes, you, you, you might be using SharePoint to do some document management with retention periods and those types of things. But from a collaboration standpoint, from a bunch of different standpoints, I really want to learn SharePoint 2010. So that's my goal for, uh, for, for the, uh, excuse me, 2011. I keep saying 2010 for the, for the next year. Uh, that, that, is the, those are the two goals, te legal technology-wise. We did go out to Twitter and ask the same question, and we got a couple of responses, and so I wanted to maybe talk about a couple of them. So I'm going to just open it up, Dennis. Uh, one of our uh, longtime friends, Jim Calloway, said that uh, his resolution, it is time for me and a lot of other lawyers to become more serious about using better document assembly. Uh, I, I'm, I'm on the fence about this, Dennis. What do you think about his resolution? Well, I, I think it's an example of where you have uh, a great sounding kind of vague resolution because I, when I looked at it, I say, I don't know what the next step is if, if that were, if that were my resolution. I think it's a great idea. I mean, I first got involved in document assembly seriously 20 years ago and every, I still all the time think, God, I wish I could do more document assembly and it would be a, a great idea. But I think you, it, you, you sort of, launch yourself into this big topic area, and I think it becomes difficult to do. So I think what you might try to do is break it down to say, I would like to do to automate some more of the things that I'm doing. And so here's an example of, of what I'm thinking of that I would call document assembly uh, that, that I'm taking on or that I just uh, am about to do this year. And that is at the bottom of all my blog posts, there's a standard you know, footer almost that, that, that goes in there. And I typically copy that over time and time again. Um, what I'm going to do is just set up and I can do this. You can do this in word. You can do it. I can do it on my Mac, but I'm going to set up just a real simple couple keystroke thing that will automatically place that, um, into the, into the text that I'm doing for a blog post. And so I don't have to copy the whole thing, go find the last blog post in Notepad and, you know, all that sort of thing. So I would look for something to say, hey, is there something really simple I can do where I can see the benefit of automation? And then w w typically when you do document assembly, when you, you say you want to uh, uh, jump into it, you're looking for something that's, that you do a pretty high volume um, that's simple and it's repeatable. So the first thing I ever did in document assembly was a durable power of attorney. It had just a few variables, names, a few things like that, something you did routinely. You didn't really want to spend a lot of time and so you and you got a quick return uh, from the work that you did. You could almost you know very quickly start uh, uh, producing things. I'd also look at maybe some of the online document assembly tools uh, Try some of those out, and, and but I think the key to document assembly is identifying the documents that you want to assemble. I agree, and why I, and 
and why I said that I was on the on the fence about it is is only because I think the document assembly has really faded as a as a major topic in legal technology. You just don't hear that much about it. Um, but that doesn't lessen the need. That doesn't mean that uh, lawyers aren't uh, routinely creating documents that um, have some repetitive qualities to them and the ability to have that type of system. I mean, I as I listen to you describe it, I think myself of the numerous templates that I've created for the different types of things that I do both um, in, in, in my non-work and in my work that I am easily able to help assemble and put something together because I have that templatized uh, type of uh, type of setup and, and and having software I don't have software that that does that but having software especially if you're doing it in volume I think winds up uh, being very beneficial but um, I'm I'm not much for the document assembly and, and I don't know a lot about it so I'm gonna move on to the next the next one where I know a little bit more about and and we'll talk about uh, Andrea Canavina the legal typist she also tweeted that uh, her resolution is to do her part for the environment and erase the use of tapes at law firms. And I think that this is a, um, a, a good idea. I think that uh, what she wants to do is to increase the amount of digital dictation so that folks aren't using their handheld uh, dictaphones uh, and, and using tapes, getting rid of those tapes and doing everything digitally instead. I think that's obviously where uh, the technology is headed. Uh, I, I wonder whether this will happen in the larger firms. I still see lots of tape being bought. I still see little tiny micro cassettes being sold. Uh, but at the same time, I see tools like Dragon Dictation um, selling like gangbusters for free, really, on the iPhone and the iPad and, and making it absolutely dead simple to dictate a document, to dictate uh, letters and emails and even text messages. And so I think that uh, that this is all, all and, and I guess I should say that also for, as an e-discovery consultant, I welcome the uh, addition of a new form of electronically uh, stored information, uh, which obviously would be discoverable. So I guess that's the downside of digital dictation. But at the same time, it makes uh, the process of dictating documents and putting those documents together so much easier, so much more convenient, much more efficient and economical in the long run. Dennis? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I like this as a resolution and I interpreted it completely differently than you did because I thought she was referring to backup tapes and the idea of <laughs> uh, going to uh, using remote, you know, external hard drives. Which is also which tapes. is also a good resolution. That's right. Yeah, and it's great. And also, I think this is a really good area for resolutions, uh, the sort of green technology where you say, let's look where we have a lot of consumables. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, I mean, paperless, you know, office is, is pretty you know extreme goal i think that's a difficult project to take on but if you can say hey let's look at ways we can use technology to save a little money and uh you know if it's a green effort that's great if that helps motivate people but or if it's cost saving it's great but i think this is an example of an area where you can make a really good resolution where you can see an impact uh you know fairly quickly so i like i like that idea uh you know for resolutions well, and speaking of specific resolutions and uh, and something related to getting rid of tape, uh, MDR lawyer tweeted that uh, 
his resolution was getting himself a smart pen. And then he asked the question, are they any good? And I think this is another way of, uh, of reducing, it's, 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 it's in one way, another way of reducing paper, but in the same way, it's not because it's still a pen and you're still using it as a pen. I am, have not bought a digital pen primarily because my handwriting is awful. It takes me forever to write. I type much faster. And so it just doesn't fit my use the way I would prefer it to, uh, to, but, uh, I know several people who have bought the LiveScribe pens, which I think are just terrific uh, uh, devices that will, you, you have to use a certain type of paper, special type of paper. You write on that paper, and as you write on it, you, you put a dot for when you start. You've turned on the recording device that's in the the, fun, the, the pen and it's taking a recording of the meeting or the deposition or the interview or whatever it is that you happen to be, uh, be taking notes on. And the brilliant thing about it is, is that when you get back to the office, if you're looking through your notes and you want to hear exactly what happened in that point, all you have to do is tap your pen in that one area and it will, the digital recording will begin to play back at the exact point that, uh, that you made that note. Very, very handy. Uh, Lidescribe also works with Evernote. So, that whenever you're done taking notes, everything gets uploaded automatically into your Evernote account so that you can access it there. So I, I think that getting a smart pen is a smart idea and an easily attainable resolution for 2011. What do you think, Dennis? Yeah, I mean, again, I go to use case. Uh, you know, so are you a pen person? Uh, you know, are you an iPad person? Are you an iPhone person? If you're a pen person, then you say, yeah, this makes sense. I'll do a little research. For me, when I think smart pens, I probably like you, you Tom, I think Jim Callaway, Ernie Svensson, you know, and because that's who I associate with people who've written about or, or used the smart pens. And I know that they're both really approachable. And so I would probably ask them for their, their current thoughts on it, get it a little idea of the research. But mainly I would say, let, let me imagine how I'm going to use this and how it would work and how it would help me. And then kind of really think through whether that's going to happen or not, or whether you're going to buy something that seems cool for a week and ends up, you know, in a box or a drawer somewhere. And let's take our final uh, resolution, which is from, and I'm going to say this wrong, and I apologize for the mispronunciation, Guy Sakalakis. Um, his resolution is to encourage quality content publication over quantity. He says, be local, be social. Dennis, what do you think of that resolution? Well, I, you know, the, the old truism, content is, is king. And I, I think that, you know, there is uh, sort of this feel sort of as we reflect on 2010 and the growth of social media and Twitter and, uh, you know, people reflect on, on blogs these days. There's, there's this huge, this big sense of huge volume and, you know, needing to post something every day or to tweet several times a day or, you know, you're at some conference session and you need to tweet, you know, something on every slide. And so I think it's a, it's a good time to, as a resolution to say, hey, am I just putting stuff out every day because I feel I have the need to it and I'm not thinking about the audience or, you know, or, you know, doing something substantive that's actually useful to people. Um, what is my actual content? And, and can I change the focus a bit from saying I need to do three posts a week, for example, or one tweet a day to say, can I just post something when I feel I have something that's of quality and it's useful. So I, I think that's always a good thing because I think the pressure these days is, is toward quantity. 
Yep. No, I completely agree. My, uh, the, 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 I've been able to keep the number of subscriptions, um, RSS feeds in my Google reader has stayed relatively constant over the past couple of years. And yet there are more and more and more posts each day. There are some sites that put out 15 to 20 to 30 posts a day. And it's, it's just overwhelming. I don't happen to be one of those who posts a lot. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not in the quantity area, but I think from a consumer standpoint, I think that that is an admirable goal and something we should all strive for, especially if we're in the business of content publication. Dennis, we're out of time for this segment. What are your parting thoughts on this uh, subject of resolutions? Well, I, I took a look back at the article I wrote, and I, I, the one thing I would recommend to people because it's an easy resolution is to, at the first of the year, just go ahead and, and change all of your passwords. That's probably the best thing you can do to enhance your security, and so that's that's an easy one, very doable. You'll get that quick return. You'll feel good that you've accomplished something. Also, I said in the article, think of resolutions as first steps that are simple, easy to accomplish, and targeted toward areas that will reduce the friction between you and the rapidly changing world of technology. So I would say just pick three or four things in a couple of different categories that, that will kind of fit with that goal and uh, and give yourself some some quick rewards. So I encourage people to set goals not too late in the year, so, so go ahead and have at it. Those are great ways to start with your resolutions for the next year. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsors, Clio and LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, The mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. With cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing Uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS-70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN.
And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, Tom finally gets his chance to ask me to talk <laughs> about my new MacBook Air. Tom, what do you want to know? Well, Dennis, I think that the new MacBook Airs are beautiful devices. I think they're easily the slimmest, most attractive laptops that I have seen, I think, maybe ever. Uh, but I'm going to put you on the defensive immediately. And I'm going to say that I've read reviews that say that the new MacBook Air is essentially just an iPad with a full-size keyboard and a full-blown operating system. What do you say to such charges? Well, uh, you know, those are reviews. And, you know, I read a lot of reviews and, and uh, before I made my decision. So I, I now ha- I can give you the hands-on report a- at this point. And so I have two thoughts on that. So there's the 11-inch model, um, which I, I think that critique may be more applicable to. And right. then there's the 13-inch model, which which I bought, which has a better screen, um, you know, it has more power, more memory, bigger hard drive, that's, that sort of thing. So I think that, and is it a glorified iPad? I'm not sure. I think they do different things. I think that our old discussion of the iPad being a content consumption tool and the laptop, our MacBook Air, being a content, more of a content creation tool as well, I think, I think really bears out. The one thing you said, though, that from what you see about it is what I feel about it, which is that that combination of lightness and strength at the same time, when I, it just struck me uh, last night as I was carrying it from, from room to room in my house, um, is, is really uh, something amazing. And the brightness, and the, again, 13-inch, I'm talking about the 13-inch MacBook Air here, uh, the brightness of the screen, uh, how fast it is uh, because of the solid-state hard drive, uh, how fast there's an instant on notion of how it wakes up. Um, there's just a lot of things to like uh, uh, about this MacBook Air. And, and I know your second criticism will be, hey, Dennis, what about the cost of it? Um, am I right? Well, it's not, it's not necessarily just the cost. I mean, Macs are generally known to be more expensive, and I think that's just a fact. But I think that if I had a criticism, and, and, and it's all going to come down to and I think you're going to say this, so I'll just beat you to the punch here and say that it's all going to come down to, does this work for how you plan to use it and for what you need? But I think that the main criticisms, and I and I freely admit, I have not tried the MacBook Air. I haven't looked at it. But if I were to be looking for a laptop right now, the things that would make me pause about the MacBook Air are some of the limitations that they have. Um, they have solid-state drives, which are superior drives anyway, to regular hard drives, but because because they're solid state, you wind up not getting as much capacity as you might want. Um, the the 11 inches only go up to 128 gigabytes. The 13 inches go up to 256 gigabytes, I think is what you have, Dennis, while a comparable laptop is now hitting out at about 500. So if you want to be able to keep your music on your laptop, you may find yourself having to have a, a, a standalone hard drive for that. I think that if you prefer a wired connection, uh, if you really want a fast, fast connection, uh, the, the lack of an Ethernet port uh, can be a potential issue for that. Um, and then, again, same as the iPhone, and this is, again, if it matters to you, it's not user-upgradable. You can't remove the battery. You can't remove the hard drive. You can't add your own RAM. You've got to go in and get all of that done. If that matters to you, those are things you need to think about. Um 
I I don't think that necessarily they would. I think really the only thing that would would stop me from buying it is the fact, and and this is something you and I've talked about, is whether or not I've got an iPad and I like my iPad quite a bit. I don't know if I if the MacBook Air is uh, enough of an incremental step up to justify me having both of them. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, as always, this is sort of my my talking point. Uh, it always seems like these days, but I just am a big believer in the use case. I I just thought through exactly how I would be using it, what I would be using it for, um, and it made uh, you know, and it fit my needs exactly. Um, and, and then I got some bonuses. I think once I once I got it, that that I really really started to appreciate. And for me, uh, I, I will tell you that the lack of a backlit keyboard almost was a was a deal breaker for me on this. And then I had a, I struggled a bit with the 13 inch screen because I liked the smaller screen, but the 13 inch screen actually is they point out to me at the Apple Store is a lot nicer. Um, and, and then I was able to to uh, to get more power, uh, more memory, bigger hard drive in the in the 13 inch model. So that all swayed all swayed my decision. Frankly, I paid a lot more for this laptop than I typically would for a laptop because I'm I really like being in that sort of middle sweet spot of you know we're trading cost and performance and really find a nice sweet spot. So it's a little bit different. I sort of have at least a three-year plan on this, and it's and also this is meant. Not as a work laptop. This is a, my home laptop. What I use on a daily basis at home, and you know, post my blog, things like that, and for travel and presentations. And so it's exactly for that. And and that may not work for people. What I found is the transition was was. You know, I've, I've used Macs before, so it's not as difficult as for other people. I think that if you're moving to a Mac, uh, which a lot of people are thinking about, I think the one thing that there are two things I think can get in your way. Um, so one is that people say the Mac operating system is so intuitive. And the fact is, it's, it's really not. It's easy to learn. And once you figure out what you're doing, it's, you know, it's, it's great. I love this touchpad and I, how I can use multiple fingers on it. But the fact is that if you look at that MacBook Air, there's a touchpad there. And if you say click the mouse you, and you don't know what's going on, you won't know that you click the whole touchpad. And when you say right-click on that, you won't know that you needed to hit the control key and then the touchpad or, or uh, you know, put two fingers uh, on, on the touchpad to right-click. So it's easy to learn, but you, you do need, you know, a bit of training or a little bit of learning. But once you get it, it's amazing how fast you pick it up. The other thing is my big bugaboo, whether it's Windows or Mac, is that tr- moving my iTunes library and getting iTunes to work on the Mac was a labor-intensive, time-intensive, frustrating effort and uh, would be the one thing I would uh, tell people who move into Max to, you know, to, to budget some time and some frustration for that transition. Tom, now it's time for our parting shots at one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. My parting shot this week is a website called Prezi, P-R-E-Z-I. Uh, it's a way for you to create 
presentations live and on the web. It's a it's a PowerPoint keynote alternative. And what sort of caught me um, onto this this past week is that they now have an iPad app that make it absolutely dead simple for you to show presentations on your iPad. I don't know yet whether you can project them onto a projector, but I don't see why you couldn't. Um, you you ought to be able to project them using the uh, the connector into a, onto a projector. But uh, but it's a very interesting site. Uh, some really cool, uh, amazing presentations are being created there by other people. Take a look at them and sign up and start creating your own presentations. Prezi.com. Dennis. Uh, on the resolutions theme, I, a lot of people want to improve their social media presence, and I would be one of them. I, I found a really nice blog post on a blog called Social Media Examiner. It's called 26 Tips to Enhance Your Experience on LinkedIn. Um, and I, I think this is a great way to do resolutions for technology. So I I wouldn't do 26, all 26 of these, but I might find three or four things that would actually improve what I'm doing with LinkedIn. And then, uh, so as part of my goal to, you know, to either dip my toes into social media or to improve what I'm doing, especially on LinkedIn, I would take advantage of an article like this and just pick three or four of these and, and put them on your agenda. That's a great that's a great tip. Um, Dennis, uh, so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, are available on our show notes wiki at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Resolve to listen to more episodes of this podcast in 2011. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>